0: So if a total stranger came up to you, they have no church affiliation whatsoever, no denominational background, and they came to ask you this specific question. Total stranger, no church affiliation, never was raised in the church, never went to church, And they came to ask you this specific question. I want to know what your answer would be. What is church? What is church? I hear you talk a lot about your church. I hear you say things about my church. So the question I have for you, total stranger asking you this, is what is church? church. So I'm going to make you uncomfortable here for a second. You have 15 seconds to say to the person that you came with, with your mask on, of course, don't get too crazy. And tell the person next to you the answer to your question. You each have 15 seconds to share that. Kind of awkward, right? So go ahead and whisper, What is church in your response to this total stranger? Go ahead. 15 seconds. I don't have a clock. (laughs) All right. Don't Google it, by the way. I see some of you on your phone cheating. All right. Time switch. Switch. What is church? You had the same answers? Okay. So, I'm not going to ask out loud what your answers were, but I want you to think and keep that, whatever you thought of, whatever you said, Keep that because what we're going to do for the next year is we're going to be on a journey of answering that very question and what are the implications of that for me, for you. To answer that question means that there is going to be an adjustment, perhaps, a discomfort in your life if you choose to go on this journey. Because understand that before the church existed, Jesus called disciples. And he called those disciples to leave their comfort and to step into the unknown, which was uncomfortable. So this is an uncomfortable conversation that we're going to have for a year. An awkward conversation with awkward questions. So hang in there. Because we're going to need each other for this. I asked my wife while we were having coffee yesterday afternoon about a date that I went on in college. It was my sophomore year, and I knew I wasn't dating her yet yet. Because she was uh, not in my league and still is not. She was way out of my league. I was just, I was, I'm just a lucky blessed man. And so I went out on a date. And there was a lot of conversation in this date. And there's like this five seconds of silence. And so I'm like looking out and i could feel her eyes looking at me you can feel it i mean she's there we're sitting on a bench and i can feel it and so i i turned and looked and she asked me a question she says what are you thinking uh that's not a good question to ask and i said nothing the brain is always thinking of something, not mine. I know how to turn it off. And she sat there with another uncomfortable five to 10 seconds of silence. And I could still fear, feel her staring at me while I was looking straight thinking of what, what do I say? If I have to answer this, what do I say? And then she asked me another question that was awkward. She says this, I looked at her. She says, What do you think of me? Hmm. At this point, I'm feeling a little sweaty and nervous. And I said to her, Well, you ask really good questions. It's an awkward question, right? Jesus asked some awkward questions. And he asked a really similar question to what this girl asked me, except it wasn't about what do you think of me? It was another question. And we're going to look at that and start to answer this question of what is church, because here's some questions that Jesus asked. He asked a lot of questions. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, he starts out when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the son of man speaking to himself is? Who do people say that I am out on the street? What are people saying about me? Next verse, the disciples responded. Well, some say John the Baptist and, you know, because that would be weird because he's dead and, you know, got beheaded. Other people say Elijah, And that's, you know, he's in heaven or something like that, he said. And still others say Jeremiah. Well, it makes sense because in Jeremiah's day, they rejected Jeremiah. So there's a lot of people rejecting you because, hey, there's only 12 of us that hang out with you all the time. And then others say a prophet of some sorts. So then Jesus gets to the heart of it. And he starts to ask his disciples the question, who they believed he was in verse 15. And he looks to them and he says, what about you? What about you? And he looked at his disciples in the eyes. What about you? Who do you say I am? If Jesus sat with you at a coffee shop or a restaurant and you're having this conversation, he looks to you and he says, who do you, Joe, say that I am? How would you answer that question if Jesus asked you that? He's asking his disciples this. And it's interesting because. When you look at that original language, there's emphasis on two words. And Jesus, if he were to text his disciples this question, it would be, who do, all caps, you, say that, and then all caps again, I am. There is emphasis on the you and the I am. He wanted them to understand, and he wanted to know if they believed what his true identity came from and i love peter because he just takes charge he's a take charge type of guy and sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth i mean peter got the response from jesus so many different ways he's the one who started telling everybody when jesus started talking about i'm going to die and this is how i'm going to die Peter stood up and said, no, that will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said, get away from me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. He was the first to speak up. He was also the first to step out and protect Jesus. When a group of soldiers came up, he pulled out his little weapon and whacked off an ear. So he's a take charge type of guy. He had the answer. He was the kid in the classroom that had the answer. I don't know what that would be like. I never had the right answer in class. And so Simon Peter answers the question that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus' identity revealed by Peter. And the disciples looked at each other probably and said, oh my goodness, he said the right answer. He was right for once. Jesus looked at Peter and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was put on the tip of your tongue by the Father in heaven. He wasn't even given the answer. No one whispered the answer to him. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed it to Peter. This is the very identity of who Jesus is. And Jesus wanted to know, do the disciples know who I am? Because the question that Jesus asked today, the question that Jesus asked to his disciples is the same question he asked you. Who do you say that I am? Many people in Jesus' day thought he was simply a prophet. Just another prophet. Others thought that he was going to be a military superpower. He would take over the throne of Caesar. That the Jewish people, many of the Jewish people, believed that he would take over control this messiah that if they were to come if he were to come he would take over military power and sit on the throne and the days of david would come back to life and they would be a world superpower again that was what many of the jews believed but what about you who do you say that jesus is Do you see him as a good person and a moral teacher? Or do you really look to him as the true son of the living God? Because the answer to that question will play a role about how you live your life. How do your actions tell the world what you really believe about who Jesus is? Think that one through for a second. What do your actions say to your family? What do your actions say to your colleagues? What do your actions say to your classmates about how you see Jesus? The answer to that question is the foundation upon which everything else is built upon. And the next verse in verse 18 Jesus starts talking about this foundation and what it's all about. He wanted to make sure that they knew who his true identity was. And then he goes into this verse 18. So Peter answers the right question. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed by flesh and blood. But by the father in heaven. And then verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. That's so weird. You are Peter. I tell you, you are Juan. And Juan would say, yes, I'm Juan. Strange, right? And you are red. Pay attention, red. And you would say, yeah, I'm red. But see, there's a play on words here. You are Peter. Petros. You're a rock, a small rock. You're a pebble. And then Jesus uses the word, and on this rock, Petras, so Petros, Petras, and on this rock, this mountain of a rock, I will build my church. Understand, Jesus is the builder of the church. Sometimes we think as church leaders that we're building the church. Jesus is the builder of the church. This is the first time the word church is ever used in the whole Bible. It's not in the Old Testament. This is the first time the word church is used. And it's right here, and Jesus says it's ecclesia. And we've screwed up the meaning of this word. The core meaning of this word is the called out ones. That's what church means to its core meaning, the called out ones. And so he says, you are Peter, you're a small rock, but then there's this mountain of a rock that I'm going to establish my church. I will build my church on this rock, the foundation And the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not break the foundation of this church that Jesus is going to build. Why? Because the foundation is Jesus. The foundation is Jesus. Not only was the church established by Christ, it was built on Christ. He is the perfect foundation, He is the solid rock church. The foundation of that and everything else that is built upon it, Jesus will always be the foundation. It says this weird stuff, too, um, about this cornerstone. We've got to jump to Ephesians chapter 2. We're not going to have time to dwell on it. But it talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118 also talks about this. It says, it says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So you've got Jesus as the foundation because of who his identity is. Understand the foundation of the church is based on Jesus's identity. The son of God, the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's the foundation and now also the chief cornerstone. I don't know what a cornerstone is. I can get a foundation. I understand what a foundation is. And, and so I called up a buddy of mine this past week. And I was studying this passage. And I didn't understand this building stuff, this terminology of cornerstone and foundation and all that. I didn't get it really well. And so I had to consult a professional. He doesn't like to be known as a professional of any sorts. But I'd like to ask my very good friend... Uh, Mr. Pastor Jason um, to come up here because Jason um, is going to explain this whole idea from a guy who understands building things, constructing things. We get the foundation. We understand the foundation, but I called you up this week I had a biblical dilemma Jason and whenever I have a biblical dilemma I feel like I need to call you oh boy <laughs> and and you can explain it to me to understand because I got a very simple mind and so I called Jason up and I said man you're going to have to explain this whole concept of of this cornerstone thing what is this cornerstone why is it important what is it about when you build something what is that all about so respond and tell Make it clear for everybody because somebody here needs to get baptized and whatever you say might affect hey, that. Hey, maybe. So first yeah. of
1: all, I, I realize right now how, why we're we're good friends. Because Deborah, I do have times where I can think about nothing. It's like it's like a low power mode. I'm there, but it's like that that screen that you guys seen that's come up there, it's just like the white fuzz, my return channels. That's what that's I have brain. going on in there and, and so I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, it's trying to go there right now. I'm like, don't switch to low power mode, Jay. (laughs) No, no. So what it is, is I'm a Mason by trade. And what that means for people who don't know is I'm a fourth generation Mason. My grandfather built stuff out of stone, great grandfather, just anyway. So when you asked me what that was, it was like, well, I felt like an idiot to come up here and tell anybody because I figured everybody probably knows what this cornerstone was. But apparently, you didn't. It could be. I'm the only one. It could be. And I'm just having you up here to help me with this sermon. So, so back in the day, um, well, well, start when you're going downtown and you're walking around downtown, you see a building and there's a cool stone on the corner, and it says establish something. And I think a lot of people think that's the cornerstone because it's the cool, pretty stone on the corner of buildings you see, but that is not at all a cornerstone. And back in the day, so I mean, day like not like day when we were younger, but like day like when Jesus was writing this. The cornerstone is literally a, was a stone that was placed, the first stone was placed at the foundation. So it needed to be strong, probably needed to be square, but everything was then built off of that foundation or that one stone. How masonry works is as you build everything together, all the pieces have to go together. If they're not all together, then your building is no good, but the transfer load is what they call it, so the strength pushes out. So your corners have to be strong because if they crumble, your whole building will crumble together. So it literally is super important. If it's off a little bit, then your foundation's gonna get off as you build it up. And as you get to the top, you have to fix it, right? So as a Mason, if I'm off a little bit at the beginning and I realize it's off, I either have to tear it all down or take much more time to get it right so then you can build your house on top of it. So that's kind of what it is.
0: Okay, so just to be clear, that if the cornerstone is just off by a fraction, you may not be able to tell that you're off by a fraction until you are up on the building of the construction of the...
1: Right, then you get your carpenters that come that want to build on top of it, and they hate the masons because the masons screwed up. So then they have to try to fix that. Somewhere, your house is either going to be screwed up or someone's going to have to fix it. Those are your two options. So
0: here's the beauty of what was just said here, because the the beauty of Jason explaining the construction piece of that, the cornerstone is this. If the foundation is Jesus, if the cornerstone, chief cornerstone, most important part of the building is Jesus, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? If we set the cornerstone, guess what? We could put it off by a fraction. But because Jesus is Messiah, because Jesus is the son of the living God, because Jesus is perfection, what can go wrong with the foundation of which the church is established? What can go wrong? Well, we can screw it up as people. But the foundation always remains. So give... Mr. Elder Pastor Jason, a hand. That was awesome. Good job, dude. You just touched my face mask. Have to throw that away now. So Jesus proclaimed, since it's a perfect cornerstone, it's a perfect foundation because it is Jesus that's the foundation. It's Jesus that's the cornerstone. We're sort of this structure that's being built, right? It's up to us to build this structure and make it strong the rest of the way up. And there are times throughout history, and we're not going to get into history, but this is what would be amazing. There are times in history that we have to almost, that Jesus says, this is being built wrong. So therefore, he makes certain things happen where things start to get deconstructed to start over again on the right foundation and on the right cornerstone. Do you see how this idea of developing what is church is becoming so important to what the identity of the church is supposed to be based on? Messiah, son of the living God. But that foundation, that cornerstone is an unstoppable force. The gates of hell cannot overcome it because it is established by Jesus. It is Jesus founded by him, created by him. So often the church stands in its own way, letting minor issues come between it and its purpose. And so when our focus is distracted from what our foundation is, when our culture influences the church more than the church influences the culture, there is a distraction issue. So I wrote down these eight things that I think the church, when focused on Jesus, should look like. You don't have to memorize these. All taken from the Bible. But I want you to listen to these carefully. This is a lot more than eight. I just have eight points. But the church, when focused on Jesus, is a church that influences the culture. It's the birthplace of creativity, the place the world sees sacrificial generosity. A church focused on Jesus will have heartfelt praise and worship that touches heaven and changes earth. Worship which influences the praises of people throughout the earth, exalting Christ with powerful songs of faith and hope. A church focused on Jesus will be filled with repentant sinners responding to Christ's call to salvation. A church focused on Jesus will be so dependent on the Holy Spirit that nothing will stop or stand against it. A church whose people are unified, praying, and full of God's Spirit. A church focused on Jesus will be compassionate, So compassionate that people are drawn from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope. Where answers are found and acceptance is given. A church focused on Jesus will be so kingdom minded that they will count whatever the cost and pay whatever the price to see revival sweep the land. A church focused on Jesus will be so committed to raising, training, and empowering a leadership generation whose help is the Holy Spirit and whose focus is the Great Commission. A church focused on Jesus, come on now, will experience an endless stream of God's grace that will never end. How many of you come to church ashamed for what you've done that week. The church should be the place where we're most transparent about our sin and you're accepted and loved and you feel the Holy Spirit pour out grace through his people that are part of the church. Only with Christ as the foundation can the church be effective. This year we're going to explore it together and we'll mess up. But we're gonna continue getting up and moving forward because we know what our foundation is, we know what our cornerstone is, it's perfect. And we have to go back to that. The New Testament church has amazing stories full of incredible miracles, uplifting spiritual growth and wonderful fellowship among believers. But you know what it's also full of? Persecution, imprisonment, torture, suffering, and murder. Ultimately, as messed up as the church has been throughout history and even today, the church is God's plan for taking the gospel to the entire world. The church is messed up. It's got a horrible reputation for some. And maybe we've been the cause of giving it a bad reputation because you're part of the church, you're part of the body, but the foundation has been established and it is unshakable. So here's the only question that I leave for you because it's something that you have to decide. Does your life make the church stronger or weaker? Does your life, the way that you live, because listen, church is not about today and showing up and then going. We've been talking about to live out worship. We're a part of the church, yes, we gather, but then we are sent out to declare the glory of God and to share the gospel with the world. And so are you a part of making the church that stands on the foundation of the Messiah, the son of the living God, the very identity of what the church is intended to be? Are you making it stronger or are you making it weaker? That's for you to decide. One thing I do know is that collectively as a group, moving through the power of the Holy Spirit, whoever is weak, when we come around the weakness, we can make that person strong because of the hope that we share in Jesus. I want to pray for each of you because this is going to be an uncomfortable journey. And I know that the Holy Spirit is going to call you to do things that you have never done for the sake of God. And whatever stirring is in your heart right now, whatever God's been trying to get in your face to pay attention to, all Jesus requires for his people to move is to be obedient to his calling. And I just wonder, what is that calling for you? What is that calling for you right now? I can tell you what it is not. It's not just showing up. It's more than that. We are part of an unstoppable force. We want you to be a part of an unstoppable force. We are here for you. We are in this together. We are here to make history for the name of Jesus. 2021, we can talk about that all day long. 2020 was a little bit of a rough patch for a lot of Christians, a lot of people, period. But it's time to make history and make the name of Jesus famous once again in all the land, through the power of the church, the unstoppable force. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will just scurry around and shake up and fill this space and fill our empty spaces in our own lives with your glory, with your challenge, with your calling. Lord, give us the courage to step into the unknown. Give us the courage to step out of the boat Give us the courage to follow you the way that the disciples followed you, leaving everything behind, regardless of the cost. They followed you into the unknown because they knew who you were. Challenge us, Lord. Shake us. Make us bold
1: to move forward in whatever you call us to.